Acts chapter 8. We're, we're basically, we've been in Acts chapter 8 for a couple weeks now. It's really cool because we've been tracking um, the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit, it's not like just a book of Acts thing. It's not just a New Testament thing. From the very beginning, God, the Holy Spirit, was present in creation, in deliverance, in, in speaking to people through people. The Holy Spirit's always been engaged in the work that God is doing in the world. Um, of course, when the promised Messiah, Jesus, um, shows up, he begins to talk about the promise of the Father, this work that God um, had always intended on doing, of pouring out his Spirit on all flesh, not just a few special people for maybe a, a, a snapshot of time, but he's going to pour out his Spirit in a very unique way. He's going to like flood the earth with his Spirit. So when we get into the New Testament, particularly in the book of Acts, um, it is it's quite something to see how all of a sudden it's like, man, we pick up the pace and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit is just everywhere, moving, speaking, healing, saving. And so this series that we've been in for the last few weeks, we've been, we've been looking at that specifically. The move of the Spirit. Jesus described the movement of the Spirit like the wind. The Spirit is like where the wind blows. Thus we've entitled our sermon series, Where the Wind Blows. Anyways, that's all intro. Um... Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26, it says this. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his, in his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. This is Isaiah chapter 53. Verse 34, and the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus and as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. I love that story. I want to break this into three parts this morning. The calling, the conversion, and the roadside catechism. You guys know that word? We'll come back to it. The calling, the conversion, and the roadside catechism. Um, the calling. Philip. He's been fully caught up in this movement that's now fully airborne. It's, it's taken off. The gospel is spreading. Jesus told his disciples to wait in the city until the Holy Spirit is poured out, the promise of his Father. They do. It is. And they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, when you receive the Spirit, you will be empowered to be my witnesses. 
to tell people the good news that I'm alive. I've conquered sin and death. The work's been done. Now go tell the world, starting in Jerusalem and all of the region of Judea and to the ends of the earth. And now it's happening. We've left Jerusalem. Now we're, we're going to the, the quote-unquote ends of the earth. People who aren't even Jews are beginning to hear the good news. And an Ethiopian is, is hearing the good news about Jesus. And Philip, is, he's a part of it. Somehow he, he found himself caught up in this movement of God. Um, he's sort of like mid-missionary journey. He's, we don't need to back up and read the whole story, but you can if you want to, and we'll find out that oh, he, he's been going here and there, and the Spirit's been leading him. And in fact, he's just coming from a Samaria where like a whole bunch of people heard the gospel and responded, and it's, uh, it's phenomenal. And, uh, and he leaves that because the Spirit's leading him. And then all of a sudden, which is where our story begins, the Spirit speaks to Philip, and he directs him to go to this really random place out in the middle of nowhere. It's a desert place. Of course, Philip's probably thinking, perhaps, thinking to himself, what on earth? <laughs> Why? Wait, am I, is this just my voice or is this spirit leading me? You ever wonder that? Am I, am I hearing the voice of my father or am I just hearing my own voice? be uh, an interesting process to discern that at times, and that's a whole other thing. I want to share a story on um, hearing the voice of God and responding to uh, the calling. The Spirit speaks to Philip and calls him to go. You'll find out why soon enough. I was chatting with a friend of mine this morning, and um, I asked for his permission to share this story. And he said, Simon, I wanted to let you know um, the, the most encouraging thing happened to me recently, a few weeks ago. Um, so he said, you know, we're, we're doing this whole, like, Holy Spirit series. And we're talking about how our Father speaks to us. And, and in fact, like, we would do well to, to find ways to, to be still and listen. And he said, so I, I was doing it. Um, and I think if I'm getting, if I'm remembering correctly, he told me it was in the context of one of our gatherings here. And we had, had a moment where I encouraged everyone to just like be still for a minute. We're all going to listen together. And he said he was doing it. And he said, the Lord spoke to me. I've never experienced it. It was clear as day, undeniable. And I'm like, that's fantastic. What, so what did our father say? And he said that God said, no more alcohol. I was like, oh, okay, That's, that sounds challenging. And he said, no, no, it's not. Um, because if God says it, then like he, it's, it's all good, right? Which kind of, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, fair enough, fair enough. If God tells us to do something, he doesn't ask us to do things that like we're obviously going to fail at. Although the journey can be complicated, to be sure, ups and downs, and sometimes it can be a very windy road. But he said, no, God told me to do it. So I said, How, how's it been going? Slightly hesitant to ask because I'm like, I don't, I don't want you to feel bad if you're like, terrible. I ignored God and I've been failing. Uh, you know. He said, no, it's, it's been awesome. It's been incredible, actually. God told me no more alcohol. Now, I, I know my friend's story. I know that alcohol has been a real struggle, like an addiction, um, I guess. And, and he said, no, God told me no alcohol. So, I, so that was that. Cut it out. And um, he said, it's, it's incredible. Um, God really does talk to his kids. Now, so that, that encouraged me. And I said, can I have your permission to share that? Because that's what we're talking about. Like, listening to God. The Spirit spoke to Philip. And he responded. He responded to the call. Now, let me, let me just back up really quick. Because some of you, some of you in here undoubtedly struggle with alcoholism. It's a, a statistical fact. Um, and um, maybe you have or haven't heard God like speak to you clearly that way. And maybe your journey has been um, a little bit more complicated than just like, yes, sir, and just I obey and end of story. Um, now, I'll, I'll be the first one to celebrate like my friend's story. I don't want to take away from that. I don't want to be like, oh, well, you'll see. It's, it's a little more complicated than that. Like, not always. And sometimes, yes. 
So I just wanted to, to add that. If your journey with addiction, let me put it that way, has been complicated and it's been up and down and up and down, keep listening. Keep listening to our good Father. He will guide you. He will guide you. And he'll give you strength. He'll give you strength. So Philip responded to the call. Doesn't know where he's going. From the story, we're not told that he has any idea what's waiting for him, but he responds to the call and he goes. And sure enough, he meets an Ethiopian eunuch riding along in his chariot. I imagine he wasn't going too fast because Philip presumably was walking and he kind of comes up alongside of this chariot. Um, he's, he's some sort of a government official. Uh, he's, he's a eunuch. Uh, the treasure in the court of Candace. Candace um, isn't like a name. It's, it's a title. It's like uh, the Roman Caesar. Caesar is like the title for the emperor of Rome. Candace is a title for the queen of Ethiopia. So he's a government, very, very high up government official um, with serious status, riding on a chariot. He would have had a, a whole um, group with him, probably would have been well protected and taken care of, and they're riding along. And I have to imagine it must have taken some courage for Philip just to come right up to this chariot. It may have even been dangerous, but he did. And what do you know? This Ethiopian eunuch is reading from the book of Isaiah, or Isaiah. Chapter 53 of all places. This is, this is the, the portion of Isaiah that's called the, the Song of the Suffering Servant. This is a poem about Jesus. And so Philip, Philip, it would seem implied that Philip heard him reading the text, which makes sense. That would have been the custom if you were rich enough to own your own copy of one of the prophets. Uh, the custom would be to read it out loud. And so he would have been reading it out loud as the chariot was going along and Philip heard him and asked him the question, do you understand what you're reading? And of course, as we read, the eunuch responds, how, how can I unless someone guides me? Um, the Holy Spirit, we're told that the Holy Spirit was sent to guide us into all truth, which Honestly, when I read things like that, it's easy to imagine like, oh, that's like this mystical kind of like um, magical, ultra spiritual thing that the Holy Spirit does. And maybe sometimes in this case, it's a bit more um, practical than that. The Holy Spirit has come to guide this Ethiopian into truth through Philip, through a guy. A normal guy who just happens to be in the neighborhood with enough courage to come up next side this chariot. And so now the Holy Spirit is beginning to, um, to utilize the moment. How can I understand unless someone explains it to me? And so Philip hops up into the chariot and he begins to explain to him how actually this passage that you're reading, um, it's not about the prophet. Um, and it is about someone else. Have you ever heard of Jesus? To be sure, you, have, you know of the Messiah, the, this promised Savior who was to come and, and be like a king who would rescue God's people. No, no one travels 1,500 miles to the temple to worship who doesn't know a thing or two about this this religious or this religion that they're attempting to participate in and not know of the Messiah. But have you heard of Jesus? Have you, have you heard the good news? The Messiah has come. And what you're reading right now, it's about him. And he begins to explain to him. We're not told exactly where he goes from there. Let's, um, shall we go to Isaiah chapter 53? Goodness. 
Isaiah 53. It's about right in the middle of your Bible. Chapter 53, verse 7 is where it says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shear is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression or the sins of many people or my people. And they made his grave with the wicked. He was crucified between two robbers. And with a rich man in his death, he was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man. Although he had done no violence And there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, to put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see, or he shall live and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities or their sins. And we could go on and on. If we were to keep reading, eventually we'd get to chapter 54 of Isaiah. Let's read a bit of that. Sing, O barren one. Who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud. You who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one. Will be more than the children. Of her who is married. Says the Lord. Verse 4. Fear not. You will not be ashamed. Be not confounded. You will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth. And the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more. Um, who knows how much they ended up reading. They maybe dipped into Romans, maybe looked around at some of the Pauline epistles. Probably not. None of that existed at this point in the story. But there's so much there that Philip could have just said, that, here it is. This, you want to know who this is about? It's about Jesus. He was the one who was suffered. He was crushed. On our behalf. He suffered death for our sins. He was the outcast. He was the one that was put to shame. So that many might be made righteous. That many might be reconciled to God. That we might experience um, renewed relationship with our Father. With our Creator. With God. The story is about Jesus. I wonder if... um, Ethiopian eunuch when he asked the question who is this about I wonder if perhaps he wasn't wondering to himself is this about me you ever read scripture and you think man is this I feel like there's something I know this isn't actually written to me Because this was written like well over a thousand years ago. But my goodness, it feels like God is speaking to me through this verse. You know what I'm talking about? Like God does that. It's incredible how the Holy Spirit will sort of like lift the words off of the page. And they begin to enlighten our hearts. And it's as if God is actually speaking to us personally. His son, his daughter, through his word. And so I wonder... As the Ethiopian eunuch was riding along, he's reading about this, this person who was put to shame, who was crushed, who was cast out. Is this about me? Because this kind of feels like my story. The Ethiopian eunuch. There's a verse in um, Deuteronomy chapter 23. You guys know where I'm going with this. Right? 
It's Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1. The man with crushed testicles or cut off genitalia shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. There's some good Old Testament for you. When the eunuch arrived at the temple in Jerusalem, he would not have been welcomed into the assembly. Technically, as a Gentile, he wouldn't even have been allowed into the court of the Gentiles. I don't know how close he could have actually have gotten. I don't know how close he actually did get. I've often wondered to myself, and I've even researched it. I can't find the answer anywhere, but I wonder to myself, how did they check? Deuteronomy 23, what, do they have a sign posted? No shirt, no shoes, no service? No no testicles, no entry. How did that work? I'm so I know it's a little. I'm not trying to be. It's not funny. Could you imagine? Could you imagine being the Ethiopian eunuch? This I did research. About 1,500 miles to get from. Well, it's not what our, we consider modern day Ethiopia. It's the region of Kush. It's relatively the same region. 1,500 miles by chariot. Do the math, about 20 miles a day. That's like over two months of traveling on the road to get to the temple in Jerusalem that he might experience the God of the Jews, the Lord of Lords, the creator God, who's, I've heard, is good. He delivers people from slavery. He's the, he's the God of grace. He's a just God. He delivers the oppressed And he finally gets there. Only he's not wanted. He doesn't belong. He's not allowed inside. Or maybe he did go inside. And then at some point along his sort of Jerusalem experience in the temple, he realizes like, oh, oh goodness. I I I don't think I'm supposed to be here. I'm, I'm not actually welcome here at all. And then I imagine if I was there, panic would have like set in. Like, oh, what if someone finds out? What, what if I'm outed? What if someone connects the dots and they realize like, hang on a second. You work for the queen in Ethiopia, but you're a single man. And it's common knowledge that if you're given that sort of close access to royalty, of course you would be a eunuch. What are you doing in here? And like the fear of being found out. You can feel it, right? And so Philip, he tells him the good news. Tells him the good news. God has done something to bring many lost sons and daughters home. He's made a way. That thick veil that once separated sinner folks from that holy place where only a few very special people could enter in has now been torn down from top to bottom in Christ the wall of hostility that once divided you from us and us from God it's been torn down in Christ this is this is the good news he conquered sin and death on a Roman cross, of all things, who would have dreamt it up? This is how God shows up in dark places. He works good things together. Um, now, I'm tempted to draw like a thousand parallels. Like, what, what are the implications for us as a church? Um, calling, conversion, we'll get to the roadside catechism. But first, what are the implications? So Philip told the Ethiopian eunuch the good news about Jesus. 
He told the man who had just come back from not being wanted in the temple to now, no, you are absolutely wanted because of what God has done in Christ. Because of Jesus, you are now welcome. You belong. Even though you might have been told your entire life that you don't belong because of your status, because of who you are, because of what has been done to you, this identity that you've been, that's been put on you, I'm here to tell you that there's good news, that you're welcomed home, that you are wanted, that you do belong. What might that sound like if you or I were to hear the Spirit say, go to that random desert place. I've got, um, I've got something I want to... Uh, I want to include you in. There's someone, there's someone there who's searching, who's existing in a state of perpetual rejection. They've been turned away. The guy bought the scroll of Isaiah. Makes me wonder, man, how much did that cost? And what must have he been thinking on that long ride home? And how many times do we meet people in our worlds who once upon a time, they tried to meet God in a particular way at a particular time and in a place, and, and they left feeling to their core, yeah, you don't, you don't belong. This isn't for you. Um, come back when you get yourself sorted out. How do we communicate the good news. Um, How many of you have ever felt unwanted? Can you um, go to the next? There we go. I was trying to think of, I was going to make a sign. I ran out of time. I thought that'd be cool. We'll make make a sign. You know, the the church is, is a sign that the kingdom is coming. All right? We're, We're not the kingdom of God. Thank God. Like, the perfect one hasn't come to finish the work that he started. So before, until Jesus comes back, until the kingdom of God finally comes and heaven and earth cross over once again, the church is here to be like pointers. Like the kingdom's coming. The, the king is on his way. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, allow me to imperfectly demonstrate to you what that looks like. And we become signs that the kingdom is coming in the way we talk to each other, in the way we interact with each other, in the way we love each other. We become like signposts. The kingdom is coming. Come and get a foretaste. We'll do our best to prepare the meal, but it's, it's, it, it, it's nothing in comparison to the king himself and the feast that he's preparing. So we're like signs, we're markers. Oftentimes, we can also, um, to be nice about it, I'll say oftentimes we inadvertently will create other signs. Like without even realizing it, we'll say things, we'll, we'll look at people a certain way, or we'll have these interactions that actually, in no uncertain terms, say, unwanted, don't belong here. I mean, yeah, technically, like, of course, we'll let you in. You've heard me talk about this many, many times. But this is real. We can create signs to say, you're actually not wanted here. There's something about the way you are, the way you look, the way you dress, the words you use. You clearly did not get the, the, the Christian memo. You're not acting right. And therefore, when you come in this place, the sign you're going to see is right there. Unwanted. We'll tolerate you. But you don't really belong. Is that, is that unfair? Is that, has anyone ever felt that? Of course you have. Who hasn't felt that? That, that is a human phenomenon. Is it not? I'm not trying to pick on the church. We just happen to be in church right now. That is a human phenomenon. We live in a, what's the word? Broken. A broken world. 
segregated world, a discriminatory world. That's, that's the human condition. That's why we're all looking for a tribe to belong to. People that will say, okay, you're, you're okay. We'll, we'll take you. Stay on script, and then you're okay. Church is meant to be something radically different. And so, uh, here's my deal. I brought a sledgehammer with me. Um, you know how much this So we're talking about declaring and demonstrating the good news, or as we, the gospel, as we say, that where once you went to that place where you thought you're going to experience God, only to receive, uh, to leave rejected, unwanted, the good news is that in Christ you, you are welcome, you are wanted, you do belong, you are loved, and you belong in Christ. This is what God has done. This is good news. This is really good news. <clears throat> and so, as, a, as the people of God, as the Phillips, if you will, as the Spirit leads us, we go around saying, that sign's got to go. That sign's got to go. If someone comes in here and they leave believing that they're unwanted, that sign's got to go. Conversely, we, we make new signs. You are wanted here. You're absolutely wanted here, right? Um, now, you should start to feel some tension in your, in your heart. You should start to feel like, mm, but, mm, but, but. Where do we draw the line? Is there a line? Can we overdo it? Um, yeah, there's a line. Um, it's complicated. Okay, for example, I'll use a very, very gentle example. Okay, uh, downstairs right now, there's a whole corner of the building that you are not allowed to go in. You're not wanted there. You do not belong there. You're not allowed. Unless you have a little sticker on your shirt with a barcode that says you're either a parent or a, a Kid City volunteer with a background check. Otherwise, we have actually locked the door to the hallway leading to that section. Why? Because we want our kids to be safe. So you don't belong there. There's a, there's a simple line. Because life is complicated. But there's a tension there. There's an uncomfortable, real tension that apart from the Spirit of God helping us is virtually impossible to hold. What signs do we tear down? What signs do we put up? Do we put a rainbow on our front door? Do we, do we uh, put like a you're not welcome here sign? Like, like we, there's all these extremes we could go to. And like where, where do you draw that line? At what point, you know, everyone's welcome in here. Is anyone welcome to just come and take the mic? No, there, there's, there's lines and it's complicated because that's the nature of relationship. That's family. That's the family of God. Well, we raise up the sign really, really high that says anyone is welcome here. You are wanted. You belong. And where you see signs that say you're not wanted here. Even when we discover the signs that we've inadvertently erected, we tear them down. But that sign doesn't belong. Who put that sign up? That person left feeling like they weren't welcome here. 
burn the sign. Burn the sign. Break the screen. So that's what it looks like, sounds like, to demonstrate and declare the gospel. And you better feel that tension. Otherwise, we're just going through the motions. Relationship is full of complex tension. You actually have to deal with people versus just passing policy. You've got to deal with people. Now, Philip did not tell the eunuch, it's not here in the text, he did not tell the eunuch that he was starting a campaign to reform temple worship. He didn't hear the story about how he had left the temple. If there was a story, I'm reading in a little bit, taking some liberties. He didn't hear the story of the Ethiopian eunuch and then say to himself, that's awful. I hate Deuteronomy 23. Thank God Jesus came to fulfill the law. You're welcome. You know what? Let's start a petition and we'll reform the temple. We'll, we'll make the religious system just a little more affirming, a little more inclusive. We'll, we'll pass a whole bunch of legislation and create some policy so that no one ever, ever feels unwanted again. Do you feel that tension? Mm-hmm. It does not propose temple reformation, although reformation is super good. The church always needs reformation. We always lose our way. We always need to course correct and come back to the gospel of grace. But he doesn't suggest temple reformation. What he does do is announce that there has been a temple relocation, which is part of the gospel. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, I'm going to tear the temple down and I'm going to rebuild it in three days. And that's my body and I'm going to pour out my spirit. And as was God's vision from the beginning, he's going to build a temple made out of people. It's going to look more like a family than a building. And I'm going to pour my spirit into human hearts. I'm going to decentralize my vision for the kingdom coming. And I'm going to pour out my spirit in individual hearts. And you know what happens to kind of connect some of my thoughts? You know what happens when God pours his spirit into a human heart? God begins to convince us that we are wanted. No matter what's happened to you, no matter what sort of policy or legislation or discrimination you or I keep bumping up against, the spirit of God who fills your heart convinces you you are loved and you do belong. That's the good news. Now there's a tension there. And this is so utterly relevant to our world in Portland. I, I probably don't even need to say that. But we're living in this world where, man, if you have the love of God in your heart, for sure you are compelled to love the world. Just like God. To love broken people, especially, especially the people who have been pushed out. Who arrived at temple only to discover you're not wanted here. Oh my goodness, that breaks the heart of God. And as kids, we should feel ourselves compelled. Like, no, 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 you are welcome here. Dang it, I'll do whatever it takes to convince you. But you know what? All of the signage in the world cannot convince someone that they are loved and belonged. Only the Spirit of God can do that. Only the Spirit of God can convince you or me that you do belong here. You are wanted. You are a child of God. What do you think about that? Um, so much wonderful paradox in God's vision for human flourishing. On one hand, you better believe it, we got a sledgehammer on standby. And if someone comes in here saying, you don't belong, you don't belong, you don't belong, with their words or with their attitude, 
Someone better stand up and be like, hang on a second, buddy. Who doesn't belong? You want, you want to rethink that? Who doesn't belong? Jesus said, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. Hypocrisy. He defines it later. It's this, uh, it's this almost imperceptible substance that works its way through the loaf like yeast and bread. And he said, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, hypocrisy. There's nothing more hypocritical than a saved sinner looking at someone who hasn't figured it out yet, how they should look or act or sound, and think to themselves, hmm, I don't know if you belong here. This is Luke chapter 7 when Simon the Pharisee invites Jesus to have dinner at his house. And a woman who's known in the city as a sinner arrives and starts to, to weep at the feet of Jesus. And he, he kisses his feet and he wipes his feet with her hair. And she, she, she pours out this expensive, her life savings perfume on his feet. And she's just so overwhelmed with her love for Jesus. She's like worshiping Jesus. And Jesus looks to Simon the Pharisee because he, he can perceive his thoughts. And the Pharisee is thinking to himself, man, if Jesus really was someone special, he would know who this woman is. She doesn't belong here. She's embarrassing herself. She's a sinner. And Jesus turns to Simon and he says, hang on a second. Who doesn't belong here? Did you forget where you came from? Did you forget that you too were once lost and far off? Has it been that long since you've felt that, that conviction that Ben spoke about so well last week? And you realize like, oh, oh goodness, I need God to help me. I need him to restore me. I need him to lift me up. I need him to heal me. I'm sick. I need, I need my good physician, my gentle father, to come and restore me. Have you forgotten? Beware. Beware. And in that sense, I don't think we need to worry too much about overemphasizing the truth that you are loved and you belong. One more point, the roadside catechism. Um, you guys know what catechism is? A catechumen is someone who is getting ready to get baptized. Uh, catechesis is sort of like the process that they go through as they sort of like understand the gospel and prepare for baptism. Uh, a catechism is simply like the like the textbook, like the instruction used to prepare the catechumen. Um, they all basically refer to as to baptism. As they're traveling along, the Ethiopian eunuch, he gets it. He's like, my goodness, I traveled all that way. And now here we are on a dirt road in the middle of nowhere. Look, water. What prevents me from getting baptized? And Philip's like, nothing. You want to do this? You want to do this right now, right here, right in this puddle or something? Yeah, let's do it. You mean we don't, we don't have to wait for like the spectacular moment? We, we don't need a smoke machine? What about the synthesizer? I mean, we, surely we at least need some music, right? What, a, what about like the feelings and the, the show and like the, the big, none of that? Nope, just... Just why the Holy Spirit's here. The whole operation's been decentralized. God is right here. And I love that because it reminds me that I don't, in my waiting, if I was to put myself in the shoes of the Ethiopian eunuch, I can often think, man, I'm, I so long to experience the love of God. I so long to feel like in the core of my being that I do belong. 
And that hope is available. And all these things, all of these promises. And I'm so, I don't know what it is. But I often think that somehow, like, God is waiting for me to navigate this, like, elaborate, super mystical sort of, like, process or, or, or series of steps in order to, like, have this powerful, life-transforming moment with God. And this story tells me God doesn't demand that I jump through a thousand hoops or create some magical, super emotional moment in order to meet with God, in order to do business with my good father. It's right there, right there on the road. That encourages me. That sets me free from my propensity to think that I have to perform or I have to manufacture a very particular feeling, which is often like something to do with the guilt or shame, before God will meet me. And as it turns out, God is much more gracious than that. He's just looking for someone to say, man, I feel on the outside. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. Is there a place for me at your table? Right there, right now. Do we need to wait? No. Do I have to go through a class? No. Are those things good? Of course. I like classes. I think church is great. I think special moments are wonderful. I love music. I like emotions. All of those things are great. But how oftentimes do I perhaps miss what God wants to do right here, right now? Because in my mind, I think there has to be some extra there's good news God likes to take what we create as ultra sacred in our minds into um, a normal simple beautiful moment can we stand together please You guys remember um, the old Star Trek series? And they were going to like beam up. And they're like, they were like sort of dematerialized and they like slowly fade away. I'm assuming that's what was happening when Philip was taken away. Probably not. Um, but I'd be lying if I said I, I didn't sort of like kind of hope, imagine that that would happen, like in this moment, you guys would just see me like, like, like where did Simon go? And, and the spirit, I had something to do. Okay, that's silly. Let's, we're going to take communion now. We're going we're gonna to wrap up. We're going to take communion. Um, the bread and the juice. Here's a great example of how God shows up in like um, the normal, not the common, not, not like the unimportant, but just the normal. Like when you leave here and you get up tomorrow morning and like life is normal and emotionally, like you don't feel super spiritual. God is there. God is there. When you're not feeling spiritual, when you haven't read your Bible in like two weeks, you're like wondering, am I, am I still even saved? Normal feelings. Normal stuff. God is there. And when we take this bread and we dip it in the juice, these are not magical elements. Just bread and juice. But Jesus promised that when we do that, in remembrance of who he is and what he's done for us, he is there. He is there. We don't do it just because like, we're really into uh, routine or rote. We do it because uh, we want more of Jesus. We want to be filled with the spirit of God.
every week, every day. Because of who God is, because of his fulfilled promise in Jesus, because of Jesus' work on the cross, those who are once living as rejected people are convinced by the Spirit that you are now loved and you belong. And that's something that no sign or lack thereof can take away from or degrade. You belong. As a woman, you belong. As a white man, you belong. As a person of color, you belong. As someone who um, struggles daily with sexual temptation, you belong. As someone who's been told from yay high that you're ugly, stupid, and will never amount to anything, the Spirit of God disagrees. The Spirit of adoption says you are loved and you belong. And so if this morning you want to receive the bread and dip it in the juice and say, Jesus, Will you meet me now in this normal place, in this normal moment? The answer is yes. And the spirit of adoption, that's what the Holy Spirit's called in Acts chapter 8, the spirit of adoption will not stop attempting to convince you in your inner being that you belong, you're loved. Take that with you out into the world. That's freedom. Lord Jesus, thank you for yeah, this great thing you've done for us. I do long for more of you. I don't want to just talk about it. I don't want to just nod in agreement. I, I want to experience your love.